expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Manconi. The South China Sea has been a source of tension for decades, producing constant disputes among its many claimants, which include China, Vietnam, the Philippines, and, of course, Taiwan. With no side willing to come to blows, the issue has been more or less stalemated for years now. But it's recently taken on new urgency, with revelations about a growing Chinese effort to create man-made islands that many fear could help China better project its military power and give it de facto control of the region. To help us get a handle on where the dispute is headed and what it's going to mean for Taiwan, we're joined now by James Hardy. He's the Asia-Pacific editor for IHS Jane's Defense Weekly. James, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So this is a very multilateral issue. It involves a lot of countries. And before we even really get into the Taiwan angle of this, I was hoping that you could just give us a little bit of background on this dispute. Now, obviously, a lot of different countries have claims on this region, Vietnam, uh, China, the Philippines. Why is that? I mean, this is just an ocean that we're talking about here. Why is this a region uh, that all of these countries are you know willing to have this dispute over well the the kind of the key area which we've really been talking about recently which has been making all the headlines is the spratly islands uh which is in the southern part of the south china sea as you mentioned um there are lots of reasons why countries claim these islands some are are historical uh for example china some are uh, and vietnam others are because you know they're, they're naturally close to the the mainland of their own islands for example um, Brunei or the Philippines and and Malaysia to an extent as well. Um, why do the the islands um, come under claims? Well, the, they've always been kind of terra nullis. They've been um, unoccupied or, or kind of left. And and really, originally, they were seen as a part of the world that that you really wanted to avoid, especially if you were um, a, if you were a captain of a ship, because basically the worst thing you could do was was, was uh, you know pilot your ship into these things and then you would crash and be shipwrecked. Um, but since since uh, in the in the in the 20th century, they really became kind of a point of contention where all these different countries had claims and made claims to them and occupied different islands and reefs and uh, land formations. And part of the reason they did that um, was to really assert economic. Uh, rights to that part of the world it's very very important shipping area um, it's a very very important fishing area probably more important than anything else um, of course they all are also strategic considerations you have to think about um, if you are china for example you are going to want to uh, go to that part of the world and you're going to necessarily it, you might uh, look at it as a way to project power into the southern part of the south china sea so there are lots of different reasons for uh, for why countries are um making claims and also trying to occupy these islands um like i say partly historically partly because of economic reasons and uh, and and partly because of national kind of pride as well so we've been hearing more and more about this dispute recently uh, largely uh, due to images published by your publication jane's that appear to show that china has begun to build its first airstrip in the spratly islands 
and so this is following on the heels of sped up reclamation efforts that uh, China has been engaging in, building up little islands over there. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the, the the history of these reclamation efforts and where they stand now? Absolutely. I mean, what's happened in the South China Sea and the Spratly Islands in the last eighteen months is that China's um, taken small concrete platforms that it built in the 1990s and 2000s, which originally it said were for kind of um, sea level uh, checking and environmental awareness checking and things like that. And it it has dredged the coral reef around these platforms uh, to create these large land masses, these these islands, basically, which didn't used to exist. Um, Now, why is it done it? And why is it done it now? Those are the two big questions why is it done it now is um it's done it now probably because it can do it now it's been a long um kind of intention of china to regain or assert greater control over the south china sea due to the nine dash line uh claim that we we've all seen and, and which is quite famous um it hasn't previously had the opportunity or the manpower or the or the money or or the resources to do this, but it has those now. So this is kind of a moment of opportunity for China to do it. Now, why is it doing it? Well, it, it gives it greater control and it backs up its long-held historical claims to the South China Sea. So if you claim something, and uh, but you can't actually enforce that claim, then it's basically just an empty claim. Now, China now is in the position where it can actually... Uh, do something to enforce the claim. And like I said earlier, the, the key thing about the South China Sea Islands, especially the Spratlys, is that they tend to be in the middle of nowhere. They, they aren't, they're not heavily populated. Um, they, they are kind of out of sight and out of mind for a lot of people. So it's a kind of empty space that you can kind of insert yourself into. There is basically a power vacuum in the South China Sea at the moment, and and China is taking advantage of that. Now, we're definitely hearing a lot of countries uh, sound the alarm over this whole thing, but China has been quick to point out that a lot of other countries have done similar things, either building up the, the, the bases and military installations that they have in the South China Sea, or they also point out that, you know, they're not the only country to have an airstrip in the South China Sea. Even Taiwan uh, has an airstrip on uh, the island that it owns in that region, uh, Taiping Island. Uh, So what has been so alarming to these other countries? What's different about what uh, China is doing? Well, yeah, I mean, China's right. Uh, I mean, Taiwan uh, built an airstrip on its island, Ituaba or Taiping Island, in uh, 2006, I believe it was, 2006 to 2008. It's got an airstrip there. The Philippines have got a a very uh, rudimentary airstrip on one of their islands pagasa and the uh and vietnam have an airstrip on a short a very short airstrip on one of their islands which is the spratly island um no s so i mean china's got a point there and certainly other countries i think vietnam will probably be the the uh most uh the greatest culprit if that's the right word have been doing a lot of reclamation work in the last five or six years um but the difference was that those countries tended to um, modify or um, kind of, you know, improve or existing land formations. Whereas what China's doing is China's taking reefs, which are, you know, they're not land, they're not islands, and it is basically destroying a reef to create an island. So that's the biggest change that's going on now. Um, why is everyone getting upset about it? Because, like I say, it, it, what it is, is taking things that weren't islands and turning them into islands. Now, that's a, that gives China a lot more potential 
control over this part of the world. Previously, China had these small concrete outposts that I mentioned, and really they were they were kind of um, symbolic, but they didn't really have any power projection capability. You weren't you couldn't really start a war from one of these if you wanted to. You couldn't really assert control of the uh, the local area. They were more actually, I think, probably used by China to make sure that other people weren't doing things. Or other other countries weren't, uh, you know, kind of bolstering their claims. What's happened is that China's changed that now, and China's going to have the largest land masses, or the largest group of land masses in the South China Sea, Fiery Cross, uh, Fiery Cross Reef, which you mentioned. I mean, that is going to have a three thousand meter long run strip, a runway, we believe. But on top of that, it's, it's going to be the largest island or de facto island in this in that part of the world, and that really kind of changes the strategic balance in this part of the world. Um, if you're someone like the Philippines, for example, which doesn't really have the resources to protect its interests in this part of the world, um, you know, they, they're going to be concerned by that because it, it would give the Chinese a, a, a jumping point to assert com, a control or potentially take over the islands that the Philippines currently occupies. So far, at least, uh, I think it's pretty fair to say that Taiwan's response has been fairly diplomatic. Uh, on the one hand, President Ma Ying-jeou has reiterated Taiwan's territorial claims in the region uh, and has said that it will not relinquish those claims. However, he's also said that international law doesn't forbid China's actions, uh, and he's pointed out, as as we did just now, that uh, China is not the only country increasing its military presence in the region. Uh, however, putting aside this more public diplomacy uh, a couple of weeks ago, Taiwan did confirm that it would expand its maritime air patrols to include areas in the South China Sea. Uh, so, you know, diplomacy is one thing, but uh, do you see these upped patrols? Do you see this as a response to China's actions? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it makes it makes sense. You know, the the thing um, that the, if you look at Southeast Asia and the South China Sea in, uh, in particular, the one thing that every country is desperately trying to um, uh, acquire in terms of defense capabilities is ma- something that gives it what we call maritime domain awareness. And the, the P3s that um, President Ma mentioned, which are going to start doing these uh, these longer patrols down to the Spratleys, potentially, those those are maritime domain awareness aircraft. That's their job is to go out there with big radar and see what's going on on the surface, uh, also under the surface because they're anti-submarine warfare aircraft, and also sometimes what's in the air because they can track other aircraft as well. So um, absolutely Taiwan is responding to this situation. I think it is very interesting how how um, Taiwan is playing it in terms of the diplomatic response to what China is doing because, of course, the Chinese and the Taiwanese claim are, are kind of based on the same map. Uh, China's nine dash line is claim, which is based on a map that, of course, was created by the Republic of China. So, so the the claims are not a hundred; they're not very different. In fact, they're almost identical. Um, and that that is obviously something that the uh, President Ma and the the Taiwanese government have to consider in their response to whatever happens in this part of the world. So do you think it's fair to say that Taiwan is taking kind of a two-track approach on this? On the one hand, keeping things relatively polite on the diplomatic track, but on, on the other hand, still uh, beefing up its military presence there and, and ensuring that it, it has a, a military presence that kind of matches what others are doing? Yeah, I think that's probably a fair description of what it's doing. Of course, we've, uh, if you look at what's happening on Taiping Island at the moment, there is the uh, reclamation work that Taiwan's doing to the uh, wharf or the port area, um, which 
they has started last year and is kind of on underway still and and you know is, is a is a program that it's it's working on at the moment and if we look at it diplomatically yes i mean you know there's no reason for Taiwan to put all its eggs in one basket about this issue. I mean, what I would add is that there is no international consensus about uh, the South China Sea issue. If we looked at last week's um, uh, ASEAN summit, for example, you know, there was a statement that was put out by uh, Malaysia, which was the, you know, the the rotating chair of ASEAN at the moment. And uh, it was slightly stronger than people expected it to be because, uh, it, you know, it said that there are major concerns about activities happening in the South China Sea, but it didn't mention China by name. Um, it was much weaker than, say, Vietnam or the Philippines would have wanted. Uh, but but it, considering, you know, how how uh, strong China's economic ties are to various members of ASEAN, Malaysia included, it was it was still more robust than we've seen from ASEAN in recent years. So where do you think, uh, without you know being able to push too hard on anything, where do you think Taiwan is hoping this will all go? What's the direction they'd like to see the situation go in? I think Taiwan really wants to maintain the status quo. It's that's what it's in its interests. Uh, you know, t- firstly, Taiwan doesn't really have the interest or the resources to focus on some kind of. Uh, you know, mission to go and reclaim islands that it might lose in the South China Sea, say, if another country were to, you know, threaten Taiping Island. I mean, you know, Taiwan's military and its whole defensive posture is, is you know, very much uh, built around, you know, um, resisting invasion from the Chinese mainland. So it has no real interest in and real capability to to go down and spend a lot of time and treasure and, and blood defending Taiping or, or any other kind of um, campaign in in the Spratly Islands, so that's that's something I think is kind of obviously the status quo, um, stability are the key words for for Taiwan. I mean, it's interesting if you look at what it did with uh, Japan a few years ago about the shipping, uh, sorry, the fishing rights around uh, kind of Okinawa and around the Taiwanese uh, shared sh- fishing areas between Japan and Taiwan. That shows you that you know um, President Ma and and his administration will will look for a negotiated settlement, even if that doesn't necessarily uh, make mainland China very happy about it. Um, so he is willing to go out on a limb and do things that he thinks are in, in Taiwan's interest, even if they cause trouble with maybe with uh, with Beijing. Um, in this state, in this situation with Spratly Islands, um, right now, I think everyone is kind of watching to see what the what the U.S., response would be uh, what the red lines are basically for the u.s um in in what china is doing at the moment now we've already mentioned a little bit taiwan's uh, military installations on on taiping island which is kind of taiwan's foothold in the region uh there's been some proposals recently that taiwan uh, kind of beef up those installations, add to them, uh, especially adding a harbor that would allow it to dock uh, more boats in it than it currently can. Uh, what do you think is the likelihood that Taiwan's going to go through with that, and and what would it mean if it did? Taiwan is is uh, definitely increasing its kind of capability on Taiping Island with this uh, harbor expansion. Uh, we saw also that you know they put solar panels down there a few years ago which obviously provides kind of independent power generation or, or different type of power generation rather than just diesel generators. Um, so, I mean, there have been kind of moments or, or pushes to increase uh, the the basic capabilities that Taiwan has on Taiping Island. Um, 
anything that they put down on Taiping, of course, is is not defending Taiwan proper from uh, an a invasion from China. So it's all about kind of diluting or, or, or you know, reducing uh, like homeland defense. So that's always going to be an issue. Um, that said, I think what we will what we need to keep an eye on is what what China does with its uh, islands that it's building now, because um, right now, we, you know, obviously there's a lot of sand being moved around and concrete being poured and things like that. But there are no um, weapons on any of the Chinese islands that they're building. Once we see what China is in fitted to these islands, whether it's, you know, surface to air missiles, anti-ship missiles, um, then everyone in the region who has a territory in the Spratlys is going to respond in some way. Now, for Taiwan, that may, may be, you know, just they're going to return the Marines there because, uh, of course, they withdrew the Marines in 1999. Or are they going to, you know, put some uh, some coastal defense missiles or are they going to put some of their anti-ship missiles or surface-to-air missiles? Those are kind of questions that we need to um, we need to be thinking about and we need to be looking for everyone's response once it's clear what China is going to deploy on these new islands. So what's the timeline that we're looking at here? You know, I've heard reports uh, that China is probably going to be able to complete the airstrip that it's working on by the end of this year. Uh, so when are we going to get a sense of what direction all of this is going to go in? You're talking about uh, perhaps China moving in um, military infrastructure, weapons, other countries uh, responding by doing something similar, moving in weapons. When are we going to get a sense if that's the direction that this is all going to go in? I think it would probably be within the next 18 months. What, because, like you say, I mean, our, our assessment is that China is going to try and finish the basic infrastructure building by the end of 2015. Uh, certainly, it's moving along at a fair pace. So it seems, it seems plausible that, you know, the airstrips and, and various kind of physical buildings and everything will be finished by that point. Um, and then at that, then it's how you know the kind of then it's almost like a fitting out in the same way as you fit out a ship or or, or anything like that, where you start putting in the, the kind of the electronic and the military technology and the, the the guns and the the various weapon systems, and that will probably be you know within the next following year, so that'd be up to 2016. I mean, there is a there is a school of thought that this is all um, intended to be done before the 2016 presidential election. Because there is a belief in in China that the uh, whoever follows Obama, whether it's Hillary Clinton or the or the Republicans, uh, is going to be a lot more hawkish on China than Obama has been, and so this is really a kind of you know a moment of opportunity to create a fait accompli that then um, then whoever it comes into the White House in 2016 will really have no um, kind of chance to deal with. Basically, they'll they'll be met with this this is the facts on the ground and you're going to just have to live with it so that's something to, i think that i'm not 100 percent sure if that is a, a clear thing i don't know whether china really cares that much or i think china's kind of just autonomously doing what it wants really but at the same time yeah next 18 months to two years i think is kind of the the timeline we need to be looking at we've been speaking to the asia pacific editor for ihs jane's defense weekly james hardy james thanks for joining us thanks very much for having me thanks for listening to taiwan talk 
Quick reminder to our listeners that we're still rolling out our new weekly news review show, Taiwan This Week. Every Friday night, the ICRT news team will be discussing the week's biggest news stories in Taiwan and breaking it down so that even if you're not following every twist and turn of the news cycle, you can still keep up to date on the stuff that matters most. Catch the broadcast every Friday night at 8.30 p.m. or find it online on ICRT's website and on iTunes. That's it for the show today for ICRT. I'm Keith Manconi.